0: Today's guest is Randy Spelling. He's the author of the new book, Unlimiting You. He's a life coach and an all-around awesome guy. I guess I might as well mention that he's also Randy Spelling of Hollywood family, as in the Spelling family. (laughs) Growing up, he had all the money and opportunity and success that um, anyone could imagine, but yet at the age of 27, he still found himself completely lost and almost Dead is the way he put it. So it was really interesting to talk to Randy and to see how much he has overcome in his life. And now he's using what he has learned and his training to help other people through his coaching and his books. So, hope you guys enjoy the show with Randy Spelling. Mm Welcome
1: to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success.
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Randy Spelling. Hi Randy.
1: Hi Meredith. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you?
0: That's great. I'm glad you say wonderful.
1: <laughs> is Instead it, of is like that- meh <laughs> You know, I I just had this flashback to uh, to a Hugh Grant movie. I forget which one, but I think it's the one with Julia Roberts, and they're going over the fence, and he he's, tries to climb over, and then says, "Oh, whoopsie daisies!" And she said, "Did you just say whoopsie daisies?" <laughs> <laughs> Does yeah, that that fall in the same category?
0: Right, Notting Hill.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Well, at least you didn't say I'm whoopsie daisies. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's all good well so I'm excited to talk to you you are um quite an interesting person you've had quite a life and have quite a future going for you so yes guys this is Randy spelling of the spelling what do we call it dynasty is that where y'all you guys are now
1: <laughs> I I don't know what it's called <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, what was it like for you growing up? I know you probably are sick of that question, but you know, if people that are listening want to know. So, what was it like growing up as a child to one of Hollywood's, you know, most influential families?
1: It was crazy. It uh, in See, some ways said
0: crazy. I knew it was crazy.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but but here is the thing that I think is such a big misconception is yes. I mean, the, I grew up with tremendous privilege and, um, you know, and there, there was a lot, lot of wealth and glitz and glamor in Hollywood and a part of my lifestyle. But then again, it, it, this was my family and I was a kid and I wanted to, feel special and important and belong to something. And, you know, so in some ways, it's not really, you know, the the internal world is not really any different than anybody else. The external world and some of the things that I was surrounded by, some of the people who I was surrounded by, that I would say was different. But the growing up part, the awkward teenage years, the you know, some of the stuff that I struggled with, I would say it is really similar to everyone else.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So you were j- just a kid and you were just a teenager. You just happened to have a lot of interesting things going on around you.
1: Yeah. You know, I was in a world that, you know, a lot of the value was success and money and power and good looks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that was confusing for me because while I saw that and while on some, you know, I'm not, not that everyone talked about that nonstop, but that was just sort of the unspoken, you know, that was right. the, the culture. But then again, I was looking at all these people and I could feel how unhappy they were. And, and I don't mean just my family, but I mean, you know, people around in this world and that's confusing. It's Did confu- you sense
0: that from a young age?
1: Oh yes, yeah. I was like a, a a little raw nerve walking around, feeling everyone's pain. And were you? Yeah, being pretty tuned in.
0: Wow, my son's that way. He's very um, just in tune with like m- you know my feelings. He'll just come over to me and put his arm around me, and he's like, "I love you, mom. I hope you're okay." And I'm like, "Geez, am I giving off like a not okay vibe?"
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you cannot hide from your kids.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So how, how did that, you know, feeling all those raw nerve, as you call it, how did that sort of impact you? Cause you're, um, the younger sibling, right?
1: I'm the younger one. So I observed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, how did it impact me? I think it impacted me greatly. Um, you know, my parents did the best they could with me and, uh, but you know, as people say, they don't come with an instruction manual. I certainly didn't come with an instruction manual because, you know, I was incredibly intuitive. And um, I was at a very young age writing poetry, uh, thinking about world peace and wanting everyone to get along. And so I, I was, I was really feeling a lot and didn't know what to deal with it. Didn't know what to do with it, and my parents didn't know either. So, you know, I I, I spent a lot of time alone, um, thinking a lot, and trying to do the the best that I could with the the little tools that I had, because that stuff isn't really taught in school. Right. And in fact, as a as a male, um, you know, I was just told all the time that I was too sensitive by my peers, by older people, I remember going to the dentist's office and I was crying for some reason. And they're like, Oh, you're such a crybaby. You're so sensitive. Oh, and,
0: wow. That sticks with you.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't want to go to the dentist for years.
0: Right. Well, not like the dentist is the great place anyway, but you've got a name calling dentist. Wow.
1: <laughs> I, I know. It was one of the hygienists. but Oh, well. <laughs> but, it, but it left an impact. And, and I think this is what's so important, though, in in this day and age Is there is a huge growing subsect of people who are now identifying as highly sensitive and empathic and you know 30 40 years ago this there wasn't really a name for it and people weren't identifying that as much they were probably just thinking oh you know what's wrong with me it's harder for me to function in the world and they would get down on themselves. Now there's more information coming out about it. And I had to learn how to navigate this because part of what almost cost me my life many times and uh, me getting caught up in addiction. And you know, I was trying to fit myself into a world that I didn't fully fit into. And so because of that, it came at a great cost. Yeah. And really did almost cost me my life until one day I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I had to choose something different and be more in alignment of who I came here to be.
0: Yeah. Well, let's rewind a minute on the addiction things. I'm I'm actually rolling into two years sober um, next month. And so mine was alcohol. But I also was a very sensitive Child to a degree, but I had like real big issues with perfectionism. And, you know, as soon as I got my hands on alcohol at a relatively young age, I guess 17, and had that escape, you know, that sort of, okay, this is going to numb this feeling of me having to be perfect all the time. You know that that was kind of the turning point for me, and and I reached a point as well where I was like, okay, I'm gonna either die or I've got to do something different here too. So, how was it for you? Like, when it, was it a similar experience with addiction?
1: <clears throat> yeah, it 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 was. Um, I mean, you summed yours up really well. Mine mine was a whole lot of things. Mine was. You know, I wasn't very good at expressing myself from an early age. Part of that could have been second child or whatever, but I just was really quiet and reserved. So alcohol and drugs gave me a way to not only numb the pain that I felt and, you know, things that I didn't deal with from childhood, but, but also it gave me a, a, an easier time expressing myself, whether that was socially, whether that was dating or, you know, all the above.
0: Mm-hmm
1: and, and it worked for a <laughs> right. while until it stopped working. Right. And then I was just left with, you know, an addiction where, you know, I kind of lost a, a few years of my life. And, you know, I don't say that mildly, um, in terms of it, really almost dying. I mean, I, I, wound up in ERs. My heart stopped a, a handful of times. Oh. Um, a friend had to revive me once. I mean, it, 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 got pretty dark and ugly for me.
0: Yeah. And so what was, what was the turning point? Cause you had a turning point.
1: The turning point was, and of course, you know, there's never one pinpoint point, but, um, and I, I, share a lot of this story in my book. Uh, I, my father had just passed away. It was 2006 and I was in so much pain and I, I just, I I just couldn't do it anymore. How old were you? How old were
0: you at this time? I was 26.
1: Okay. I was 26 and I just, you know, I'd been up for a a whole day or going on two days and, It was late at night. I was alone in my apartment and I I just felt so alone. And I was looking at my life thinking, this is, I I don't want to live like this anymore. I really, this is, if this is all my life is going to be, I'm done. And I literally had that sort of coming to my knees moment. And I said, please, 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 if anyone can hear me, dad, if you can hear me, you know, God, my guides, anyone, (laughs) all the powers that be, can you please help me? I know that I'm here for more. I feel it in my heart, but I can't see what that is or how to go about changing. So if I'm here for more, please help me and make that happen. If I'm not, if this is what my life is meant to be, then I'm done, take me out. Wow. And um, I, I had a really interesting sort of out of body experience right after that. And then a few weeks later, um, the ball started rolling and, uh, I, I got myself clean and then I could really start doing the, the, the deep work that I needed to do. And I went on a whole spiritual journey and worked with a, uh, a boatload of different people, different modalities studying. And I found coaching and I started studying to become a coach and just started transforming from there.
0: How much, of uh- your addiction and sort of that tough time in your life, do you think was tied to not really knowing who you were? Was there like a struggle to separate yourself from your family, like identity? Was it more of just, you know, hiding from, from the pain you were feeling or, and and then how did you deal with that when you started to get clean? That's a lot of questions. Um, let's, <laughs> well, I want to know I, all the I, things, Randy. I'm so excited. Um, I,
1: I, yeah. I can, um, I can unpack that a little bit. <laughs> um,
0: that's your job. Do that. Unpack it. <laughs>
1: Let me tease this out a little right. bit. Um, I think it's all of it, Meredith, R- really. I mean, I, I can't really isolate. It was only because of un- undealt with stuff from my past or I couldn't find my place in the world. It, it was all of it. For me, and I've had so many people that I've worked with through the years. Purpose and a sense of purpose is a is a real, living, breathing thing that that I think a lot of people feel at a deep, visceral level. And not feeling that deep sense of purpose is painful to yeah. some. And for me, it was it was painful. It's like, what am I here for? I don't. You know how I'm living. It's okay, right? Like I was having fun, and I was. It, it's not like I wasn't having fun at times or enjoying myself. Um, I wasn't severely depressed, but I, I was, I was living. I was just kind of existing, right. and I didn't want that. I really wanted to to thrive and wake up and feel that I was making a difference to myself, to the people around me and to the world at large. And I wasn't doing that. So, so not, not knowing my place in the world mixed with pain and trauma and stuff that, you know, most of us have from growing up in some form or another that all made the perfect storm to, you know, throw me into addiction. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So how did you start to unpack what your purpose was? Um, or what your purpose is. <laughs> <laughs> not was, you're not past tense.
1: That's a good question because I searched and I, I think I'm I'm an eternal searcher. <laughs> I really like <laughs> to search for things. Um And I searched for years, you know, I mean, I went through all the books in the self-help section at Barnes and Noble for three years. And I, I mean, I just tried to find through text and through anything I could, what, what reminded me, what, what was going to point me in the right direction. I did talk therapy, uh, otherwise known as psychodynamic therapy. I did a few forms of therapy. Uh, I did coaching uh, I worked with a, a whole bunch of spiritual teachers and leaders, and all of that made a difference. Um, but the biggest, looking back, I'd say the biggest turning point was when I stopped desperately trying to find it and let it unfold, understanding that purpose has its own process of unfurling kind of like a a fern or a flower that you you can't really rush that lifelong purpose because that, that's something that comes to you and it finds you i believe and um and it changes you know your your big purpose in life that might be being a parent and doing this podcast and doing some of the work that you do and in, in 8 years that's going to shift and change a little bit to meet the stage that you're in and what your purpose is then. So mm-hmm. when yeah. I stopped searching and and started just being and allowing that process to unfold, it 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 happened in a what seemed like in a quicker way.
0: That's really interesting and also terrifying.
1: <laughs> what, what part is terrifying about it?
0: Well, so I like what you say about it being A real and that purpose is a real and living, breathing thing. I think that makes it a little less daunting, you know, to think of it as kind of an evolving sort of thing. But at the same time, I mean, we when you're in a state where you're unhappy or you're you're desperately trying to figure out the question of what's next, to basically say be still and let it unfold—that's hard. I mean, that's that's scary because you're like, okay life is short. This time is ticking. What am I going to do next? And but at the same time, I also absolutely agree with you just from my own journey and kind of how my health and fitness journey started with just doing triathlon and starting this blog. And then over the last seven or eight years, it's really taken many different turns and it's all been because I haven't rushed anything. I've just kind of done this, you know, <laughs> as it has led me. So I get it. But at the same time, that's a, it's a very patient journey. And that's hard. No one well, wants that.
1: that. Well, yes and no. I, <laughs> I, I, I agree with you that it, that, that, is, that is the struggle. But isn't that the struggle in our daily life? like have to race against time, have to feel that we're controlling and pushing to get things done. And, you know, if you sit there and allow that to happen and be still, I'm not suggesting that you don't take action or move forward on things. Or if if someone's unhappy to say, okay, what can I do about this? I feel like there's a purpose in someone being unhappy because that is the signal that they're getting in order to do something different. Right. So it's really, it's the reaction that we have that puts the meaning on it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So if we feel, oh my gosh, I'm not living my purpose. I'm not living my purpose. You know, in the past, what I used to do with that is I would get depressed, I would get down, I would freak out, I would feel impatient, and I would stress out.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, that didn't bring me any closer to my purpose, that reaction.
0: Right. It's the whole idea that nothing has meaning until we give it meaning. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, But if I, you know, if I took that opportunity and said, oh, wow, I'm not feeling that I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing, and then ask the question, so what can I do right now? What can I do in this moment to make myself feel closer to that? And it's a simple question and answer. What can I do? I can go to the grocery store and talk to three people and connect with them. And that would make me feel better. And go and do that.
0: Yeah, I have very friendly people at my grocery store. I don't know (laughs) about you. too they're gonna make me talk like no matter what (laughs) Yep. (laughs) guess we're having spaghetti for dinner yep yep we are
1: (laughs) well and funny that that example came came up but it is a great example because I don't know if you find this too but I, I find this with myself with with a myriad of clients is that those, those, that dialogue of purpose and, you know, what am I supposed to do when I'm not doing enough and all of this, that's an inner dialogue. Mm -hmm. And that usually ruminates around and around and around. So if you can go and do something connective where you actually connect with people or go and garden and connect with the earth or do something that is connective, it, it will most of the time get you out of that inner dialogue state.
0: Right. It's the whole thing about stopping. You know, I always say that we get going around and around in our heads and we have to get the words out of our heads. So you have to have some sort of action, even if it's just taking pen to paper and writing something. It's that internal stay in your head, you're dead type of scenario, because it'll just make you crazy if you don't do something externally.
1: Yeah, and you're an athlete, so you you know how powerful inner dialogue can be. Is both. it bad
0: that I just cringed when you said that? Jeez. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm not an athlete. But yes, I am. Okay, moving on. Yeah, um, you are. I know. I know. It's so stupid. See, Randy, you've got your hands full with me already. Oh. <laughs> this movie, I love it. <laughs> no, but it's funny. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the the mental stuff is so big, but it's it's funny. Even after all these years, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'm an athlete. Carry on. Yes, I am an
1: athlete. Going, go on. But it's it's, pro- <laughs> it's one of many roles. Right, right,
0: right. Yeah, yes. Check. <laughs> <laughs> um. So where were we? Sorry, before I That's
1: burst okay. out into that. <laughs> right. <laughs> So Um, yes, you were asking me about purpose and, um, and you know, that that's really hard, that it's, it's hard to just let that happen. And, And, and look, I, I'm, I'm a really interesting balance of, um, letting something happen and taking action and moving yourself forward. So I'm not saying to be passive in life, but I think that, you know, So much, we're slave drivers to ourselves of going, we have to do this, we have to do more, and you know we're we're goal-achieving machines. And at some point, it's counterintuitive. We're working against ourselves.
0: Yeah. How do we know where that line is, though?
1: You feel it. (laughs) You know it. You know it when you're stressed out and you're sitting there, or you're feeling bad, or your heart starts to beat a little bit faster, and you just don't feel that everything is okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that feeling, it's something's not right. And it's not like, uh, you know, the power's out in your house or you're not gonna eat your next meal, but you just feel that sense of stress that something isn't right. That's your indication. So what do you do? (laughs) do I, I I like what you said. One, be still and, and connect some way, whether that's through meditation, whether that's through prayer, whether that's through going outside and taking a few deep breaths and looking at greenery or trees or just connect to the, the more than, yeah. than you know, what we're feeling in that moment. That's step one. Step two is problem solve. we, we are such emotional creatures that we, we, we put so much emotion to it. And that brings up, you know, all of the past and and all of this stuff. We could just say, is there anything wrong in this moment? Are things so bad? Well, you know, no, but it feels that way. Okay. What am I really feeling? What's really going on? Uh, You know, and you just start to peel back layer by layer until you get to truth. And the Oh, truth-
0: I was going to say that. I love it. Yeah. No, yeah. Th- yes. Go. Go. Sorry.
1: <laughs> so, okay. So, so we're on the same page. That's yeah.
0: good. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> so next we, is truth.
1: <laughs> because, the, because the truth is we are oftentimes empowering what's not true. We're impo- yeah. We're empowering falsities that we believe to be true. Because they feel big in the moment and they feel powerful, but it's not true. Right. And the if whole we think
0: of like, it, I'm worthless or I'm a piece of crap, that, that kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is, even though I work with, with business owners and, you know, CEOs and entrepreneurs and all these, you know, people that are achieving so much and doing so well, there's still that internal dialogue. That is, you know, I'm not enough or I'm not this or I'm not that. And we really have to break down what research that's founded upon because there is a time, there is a moment in the, from each of our pasts. And this is, you know, what I find time and time again, where our beliefs get shaped and formed and that's usually zero to seven. Wow,
0: that's terrifying.
1: My yeah. kids are past
0: that age. That's great. Thanks, Randy. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, you know, but it, that that doesn't mean that it's irreparable, right? You know, it's, it's not crazy. It's that young. Oh yeah, there's yeah. research now showing that um, it happens uh, even in the womb. Mm.
0: When I was eating all that cheesecake with my daughter,
1: does she like cheesecake? She
0: man, she's got my sweet tooth. <laughs>
1: Well, I did there that you to go. <laughs> there you go. But I, but I really do. The the good news out of all of this is I, I'm excited by this because I believe that research is catching up to some of the, you know, some some of the spiritual, some of the the emotionally based research and writing that's come out and theories that are there. So what really is is it's asking us you know, this type of research and what it's showing is sort of leading us to become more conscious as parents and as human beings. And that's exciting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to know that we're in an age when a boy is younger and sense more sensitive that we're not just calling him names and telling him to man up. I mean, I think that's great. It's wonderful that kids are seen, you know, for who they are. I, th- I think that's a positive step in the right direction.
1: I agree. And, um, you know, not, not, not to get too political here, but, um, I would say that our world could use some more sensitive men and women in the world
0: leading. I don't think that's political at all. I think that's, (laughs) that's just truth.
1: Well, to me it is, but (laughs) (laughs) some that might be political,
0: well, that's true touche um yeah so i there's so much here i just i love how you say you said something about where are you basing these truths on the research of your life basically your past experiences right the things that you've felt and experienced
1: yeah and there. are I'm 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 giving a broad stroke. I mean, there is some some very poignant work of going in and and looking up that research and then reframing that and working with it. But the good news is, is those beliefs did get crystallized. But there's a way to shift them and change them. And oftentimes, this is where people are trying to run forward and trying to do certain things and reach certain goals and for whatever reason they just can't and they're frustrated with what is holding me back I'm doing all the right things I'm I'm doing all the things suggested and it's just not working and it, it, without going back into where those beliefs got shaped and implanted then someone cannot be free to run the race that they want to run. So that's really the work that needs to happen.
0: How many times have you worked with someone and, and I bet it's more common than you might even think when you work with someone and they get to that point where they have to do that work and they're like, yeah, I'm out.
1: Um, That's
0: the hard stuff, right? I mean, having to dig into those core beliefs because some of them are ugly.
1: (laughs) You know, I, I can't even recall maybe one or two in my really. Yeah. I like
0: to do this work. This work doesn't seem very fun.
1: (laughs) People like the result. Yeah. And, and I think even though it might feel a little bit, challenging or uncomfortable. This isn't therapy. So it's not meant to have 20 sessions of reliving every single part and retelling the story. Um, I think therapy is really powerful. So, so for anyone listening, don't misunderstand. Um, I think it's great and I think it has its place, but how, and I'm just basing this off of my work and some other people, other colleagues that do similar work to what I do is, Um, people get really stuck in the story and you can repeat that over and over and over again, but that's just what's happening in their head already is the repeating this story of, you know, broken or not enough or, um, you know, can't have the relationship I want because I'm not deserving or I can't make the money that I want to make because of their relationship to money and what they saw from their parents or all of that stuff that's going on in their head anyway. So just talking about that and repeating that over and over doesn't help to move the needle of change. So I think when, you know, when I'm working with people, when we get to that part and it comes up, it comes up really organically and it's not this big and scary process. It's kind of just like how we're talking now and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden something really deep comes out and it emerges. And then I give homework and, all of a sudden things start to change. So it doesn't have to be this big daunting, oh my gosh, I have to go into my past and relive all the pain and the trauma and and sit in that for months.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. That's really interesting that you bring up reliving this story. That is That was something... Um Actually, a friend of mine brought up Susan in San Diego, I forget how long ago, it feels like eternity now, but I always had this thought of myself, and I still struggle with it, making like self-deprecating fat jokes and self-deprecating just jokes about myself, you know, it's my defense mechanism. But at some point, Susan had said to me, she's like, you know, you're just living, reliving this script and this story that you're telling yourself that you're always going to be this, you know, slow fat girl. She's like, you got to quit with that story. And at that point, I hadn't ever considered that. I had never thought that I was telling myself this story over and over again on repeat. And then once I realized that story, I was like, okay, I got to tear up that one. Cause that, that's that got to stop. But then I saw so many other stories and scripts that I was replaying in my head. And it, that was a real big eye opener. So I see what you're saying that It's not necessarily something that you just plow into and scare the hell out of people. But it is something that can develop organically. And and it's one of those things you can't really unknow. Once you know you have these things Mm -hmm. going on in your head, you're like, oh, crap, there they are again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, And it is a constant practice. But once you're aware of something, you can't be unaware of what you're aware of.
0: Right, right. Which sucks sometimes, but it's good. It's the way to move forward.
1: That it's the only way to change is is through awareness.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your book, Unlimiting You. What is this book about?
1: Um, Unlimiting You is, is sort of a mix of some of my life stories. Um, and I, I, I used myself kind of as a main character um, to... explain a lot of the different points of how we limit ourselves. So there's, uh, you know, the main ways that I have found through the years that people are keeping themselves limited. Uh, Some of the biggest factors that if they could gain awareness in, in, you know, areas such as beliefs and thoughts and self-worth, self-esteem, purpose, uh, intuition. The, these are all ways that I found that people, you know, really are living very, you know, a very limited existence. So, yeah, uh, I took that and I, I, took a lot of the stories from my, I use a lot of stories from my clients and from my life, as I said, to illustrate the points of um, how to live more freely, how to really live in tune with yourself, in alignment, in your purpose.
0: Love it. So where does authenticity play into all of this? I know that's like a buzzword right now.
1: <laughs> um, auth- I think authenticity is really big. Some might call it living your truth, speaking your truth. Um, But authenticity, I think authenticity can be tricky because a lot of people don't even know what their authentic is. Right. So before just going, well, I'm going to live authentically or I'm going to be authentic. You have to have a reference point for what your authentic is, what that feels like what that looks like on a daily basis, what that sounds like in conversation and in relationship with people. And, um, and then when you have that reference point, then you can simply say, am I in alignment with that or am I being someone different based upon wanting to be liked, mm-hmm. based upon the role I play in my family, based upon you know who I am in my marriage, who I believe I should be, or, you know, those sorts of things.
0: Yeah. That's a hard one. That, that's a hard one. Cause you, if you don't know who you are, <laughs> then you don't know who you are. So you can't be authentic at all. And, but at the same time, it's like, how do you get to the point where you even know who you are and what you want? And, and this whole thing about purpose. I mean, I think it's it's so great that you mentioned that it's a living and breathing thing. I, I think that's going to stick with me because I just feel a lot of times when we're trying to be this, quote unquote, authentic version of ourselves, but we don't know what purpose we're here for, then it's like, well, you know, what is that? What is that? What is that version of myself? What is my purpose? And it's just this cycle. that <laughs> goes round and round and round. <laughs>
1: It does, and that's because this 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 idea of purpose and life purpose it, it's very elusive. Yeah, you know it's it's not something tangible, and um, and I by the way I have two chapters in my book on this. One is life purpose, and one is breaking down purpose into an everyday reality. Because if you wait to feel purposeful, like, oh, one day I'm going to feel really purposeful. Like you look at someone like Oprah.
0: Oh, I love her.
1: <laughs> I do too. But if, you know, a lot of people might look at Oprah and say, well, clearly she's living her purpose. Or you look at a doctor and you say, clearly they're, they found their purpose. Or you look at, you know, someone else, Steve Jobs, or you look at, um the president or anyone. And, and there's, you know, past presidents, you, you, it, clearly you think, okay, well, they were, they were living their purpose. And it's, it, that I feel like that's a really slippery slope because making those comparisons, one is hard uh, to compare yourself to anyone because everyone's trajectory is different. And two purpose is like I said, is a, is a lifelong thing. And most people are waiting to feel that thing. So it's just like everything in life. I'm I'm life. I'm waiting till I have more money or I'm, I'm waiting till I can finally do this and retire so I can be happy or I'm, I'm waiting for my vacation so I can finally relax. Right. Like, You know that saying, hurry up to wait? Yeah. That's what I feel like so many of us are doing is rushing rushing just so we can wait to feel happy so we can then maybe spend more time with our family when we make more money so then we can retire so we can maybe live. Right. You know?
0: (laughs) Or working so, so hard right now and ignoring all the things that you want to do and could be doing and connections you could be making because you need to rush, rush, rush and work now so you can do it later. But then you're too old to do it and tired.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah that's, that's how I feel about things. And, and I used to always feel that way about working out in fitness. I would say, well, I'll work out when I'm skinny, which is so counterintuitive, right? But um, <laughs> Yeah, you got to go now. You got to start, start moving now. So what are some of the things that you tell your clients? Is Like when someone is just, and I'm sure you have, you know, process, and it's probably not as clear cut as this, but when someone comes to you and they're just like completely stuck, you know, they they can't move forward. They feel like they're moving backwards and they're just stuck. Like what are some of the things that you tell them or help them sort of what process do you walk them through to kind of get them unstuck? Because that's a really familiar term in my world is I'm just stuck
1: yeah and and I don't I don't believe that anyone is stuck so first and foremost um someone might be confused or they might be unclear but they're not stuck okay
0: so we don't use that word
1: (laughs) because (laughs) because when you're stuck you're stuck right like if you're if you're in quicksand you're stuck And you're waiting for an olive branch, you're waiting for someone to pull you out. I don't, I don't believe even not to coach you here, but I don't believe that you.
0: (laughs) at
1: at any point, you just might not know what to do or what's next, but you maybe haven't sat long enough or really said, okay, I'm going to try this, even though it might not be where I want to go or I might fail. I'm just going to do it anyway and move in the direction. Um, you know, I use the analogy of a pool, like no one is stuck in the middle of a pool. You can always swim to one side and get out. But what we do is we look at and we go, oh, I I could, I could swim over there and use the stairs, but you know, I don't know, that might seem too easy. So I could swim behind me and just push myself out of the water, but then there's no towel over there. (laughs) I might just swim to the left, but then, you know, I have to walk all the way around the pool. And after that whole process is done. You're still in the middle of the pool.
0: Yeah. Yes. That's a great analogy. And you better hope you can tread water. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get to be on the raft, on a raft in the middle of the pool?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, so you asked for my process. That's my process. I, I hold a very loving space and a strong space for someone to see that they're not broken and they're not stuck. And so I, I partner with them. To get them to move in a direction and see how they want to go back in the pool and float, not just sit there treading water.
0: Oh, so then we get to get on the float. Got it. I like it. I like water. So <laughs> <laughs> So, one of the things you brought up earlier, which I think is really interesting and it's definitely a theme of guests on this podcast is meditation and breathing and prayerfulness and I think I recorded about 65 now I think and oh I would say 60 of the 65 people I've interviewed have pointed to the importance of mindfulness and meditation and it's actually forced me into working with it <laughs> because I was so resistant
1: and what have you found
0: I, it has been a lifesaver. And it's funny, if anyone like listens to this podcast religiously, they're probably like, oh, here she goes. Because it's it's like an unfurling of me as far as this meditative state and mindfulness. Because in the beginning, I was like, no, I'm not doing it. Tony Robbins doesn't meditate. If he doesn't need to meditate, I don't need to meditate. <laughs> um, it, but yeah, so I've started a Mindfulness practice—it's by far—it's not meditation as many would consider, but it is a practice, and it's really made a big difference. I'll have to say, um, I'm probably a month in, and it's really changed the way that I'm able to start my day, and the way I'm able to kind of deal with that stress when it bubbles up, and I'm able to kind of convey that to my children as well um, when they. My, my son and I are very similar and I can see it's it's really crazy to watch your kids um as a like a ten year old feeling the ways that you remember feeling. I mean I don't know if you've yeah noticed this, but I can see my son get into a situation and, and the way he reacts is the way I would have reacted at ten, you know? And I'm like, okay, I don't want you to have to go the long way around life like I did. <laughs> So let's breathe for a little bit. But anyway, so learning these meditation techniques and, and the breathing has helped me kind of help him a little bit. But I just think it's so it's so interesting how important that breathing and the mindfulness is to getting past these non stuck sticky points in your life.
1: I agree. I think, you know, we live in such a fast paced world these days that, um, you know, just the, just the scroll, I'll just use one example, but just the scrolling in social media, Yes, we've now been trained to digest information and scan through good, bad, good, bad, want to stop, don't want to stop. This catches my attention. This doesn't really, really fast. So the way that we're processing moving through the world is so fast, so much quicker than it was before that I I think it's even more important for people now to have some tools in terms of mindfulness, meditation, breathing, calming. It doesn't it doesn't have to look like sitting in lotus position for an hour like a yogi. It doesn't have to be that. But it, it, it really it needs to be something where you go inward as opposed to your attention being focused outwardly, whether it's on a screen or a computer or, uh, you know, in Costco or whatever. <laughs> that taking some time throughout the day to connect to something inward and that's really where most of uh you know our 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 power and truth lies is right right in there.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of it for me was I didn't for so long I didn't want to know what was inside. I didn't want to know my truth. You know, like during the years where I was burying everything with the alcohol and all of that, like, I think so much of the fear of meditating and breathing was, I didn't want to know what was inside. Sure. Yeah. But it's not that scary.
1: (laughs) No, but we, 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 as human beings have been been developed to avoid pain and to run from pain. I mean, that's just most people don't sit there and go, oh yeah, make it as painful as possible. (laughs) Just (laughs) let me just go through as much pain I want it. I really do. You know, we, we, we do, we, we run from pain as much as we can. And so I don't, but I don't want to attach being still as, as painful because I don't, I don't. I don't know. I, I I haven't really thought this through, but I, I'm going well, to I say this anyway. Well, I don't think it's
0: painful. I mean, I know what you're saying, though. It's, it's just different.
1: I think that we are addicted to motion. Yeah. I think that we are, we, again, like I said, we are in an external world, right? Cars swishing by and scrolling on the screen and, and work and emails and dings going off every two seconds and alarms and dongs and bells and you know, horns and it's just, it, there's a lot of stimulation. So it's very strange to then go into quiet. We're not used to it. So in some, some way we're addicted to the senses outside. That's why it's really important to develop a calming practice of going within. I can't tell you how much of a game change. Well, I, I don't have to tell you cause you already know it is a game changer yeah for people when they develop any sort of practice like that, it just it just is
0: what I found is that it allows me to get out of a rotten place. You know, like sometimes you wake up and you know, the first thing you have is like a crappy email from someone or somewhere, and it just sets the tone for your whole day. And I'm trying not to look at my stuff and <laughs> my email first thing, but having this mindfulness practice is allowing me to get past that, or that would ruin my whole day. You know, it it allows me to kind of backtrack. But what what do you think you can do with children as far as, you know, figuring out a way to give them these tools on an early, early level so they don't have to struggle until they're 38 like I am to figure out, hey, this really makes life better.
1: Okay, I'm throwing out some tips. Ready?
0: Yes, I'm getting my pencil. (laughs) Yes, I have a pencil, not a pen.
1: I'm going to start with a short one. Okay. It's only two words. (laughs) Okay. Embody it. What is it? Embody it.
0: Oh, embody it. Okay.
1: Or live it.
0: Oh, they have to see me breathing.
1: Yes. (laughs) We, again, it's so easy to go, how can I do this for them?
0: Yeah, no, I know what you
1: mean. How can I, if they see you and they walk into the room and you're breathing, there's a curiosity. What are you doing? (laughs) I'm starting my day intentionally. I like to start my day like this because it makes me feel good. Right? Instead of saying, say please, say thank you. You say please and thank you to people and have them notice you. I mean, I know your children are a little bit older cuz I said 0 to 7 and you said, "Oh no, the damage is done.
0: <laughs> They're almost 9 and 10." Uh,
1: but you know, kids also from 0 to 7, they mimic. That that is part of their world is they will see something and then they replay it. Right. So it's really important to live that way. And the more that you do it and you lead by example, you don't have to just be a talking head and say, well, here's what you do. You can show them this helps me. Do do you want to try something like this?
0: Yeah. And that's been my whole pitch for fitness all this time is, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's selfish to take this time away from your kids to, to go for a bike ride, to go for a run. And I'm like, no way, because they see that and they want to be healthy. And so it's the same thing. It's the same thing. They see you being mindful and so it works like riding a bicycle. Maybe they'll want to do it too.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, was, <laughs> I was doing a workout video the other day right before Thanksgiving. I was visiting my wife's family and my brother-in-law and I were doing all these, you know, burpees and jump ups and all these different <laughs> things. And my girls came in and, you know, they only lasted about two minutes, but they were doing push-ups and stretching. And, and it was so fun to see that I didn't have to force anything upon them, yeah. but they, they, did, they did play around a little bit. And the same thing with meditation. You know, the other day I was, um, I was playing a crystal bowl and I, I like crystal bowls, kind of like a Tibetan bowl. Mm-hmm. Oh, but they're made out of crystal and it just, um, it, it harmonizes the, the frequencies in the body. So sound is amazing. It's an amazing tool because it works without having to say or think or do anything.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I don't know about this.
1: Oh, I'll tell you about it. I, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I work a lot with the, the crystal bowls. I like them. But anyway, so I was playing it, and then all of a sudden, next thing I know, my daughters were there. They grabbed a bowl, and they started doing it, too. And you know, we used to do this all the time, so it's great to lead by example. And often what you're doing, if you make it something fun and you make it family-oriented, the fact that they're just getting to connect with you and do something that you're doing and you're including them can be can be a win-win all around because they, they get connection time, but they also get to learn some different tools by doing instead of talking at them.
0: Yeah. I love that. And also, I don't know. I just have like so much, it just makes me sad that I'm coming to all these things and I'm not, it's not late. I'm not that old, but you know, to be 38 and to just start to, I guess, work with work on, teaching my kids by example. I mean, I've done it well in a lot of areas, so I don't want to totally crap on myself, but, um, you know, to see that I could have just been doing something as simple as taking a moment and breathing and they could have been seeing that all along. It makes my head spin I'm like, ah, you know, I, but you know, like you said, you can always change things. (laughs) So I will do that going forward. And, and,
1: and it's kind of, it, it's kind of like this. I'll I'll put it in terms of running, right? There, I know there's a certain running style that became really popular uh, a handful of years ago, and people are saying it changed their 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 life in terms of running. And and you could look at that and say, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm just coming to this now." Yeah. <laughs> you could say, "Oh my gosh, I found this. Thank goodness that I'm learning this now." Yeah, and I. Now I have something to do that that could really make a difference.
0: Right. I will do that, Randy. sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so what is something that you do on a daily basis? This podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, and it means we all have the same 24 hours, but it's how we choose to spend those 24 hours that makes a difference in our health and happiness and success. I would imagine it might be meditation, but is there something else that you do or if that's the thing, it can be the thing. But what is it that you do on a daily basis that really makes you feel like you're living your best life?
1: Um, a few things I do when I wake up, um, and I go in and out of doing this, but but I I notice such a difference is I, I will really try to wake up. And first thing in the morning is I do a, even if it's two minutes, a a. Short meditation, a breathing, setting an intention for the day Mm -hmm. to create a reference point. So any time during the day, if I get frazzled or rattled, I can always go back to that place. So for me, I have to set the energy for the day right away, right when I first wake up. And that sets the bar for the day. So when I'm out of alignment, I can always go back to that place. Yeah. So that's one. Two is... Uh, my wife and I, my wife will pack lunch in the morning. I'm making breakfast for the, my two girls and we try and finish in time where we have 10 minutes of connection time. We call it connection time. And, um, I'll take one girl and she'll take the other and we'll just do something that they want to do. It's led by them. And, uh, my one daughter really loves to draw. My other one likes to jump around on a little, you know, trampoline bouncy thing. We
0: (laughs) You're like, I'm choosing the drawing. I don't want to jump. It's too early to jump.
1: <laughs> yeah. But whatever they want to do so, so we can connect with them before they start their school day.
0: Wow. That's that, some serious parenting.
1: That, yeah. That, that really helps. How helped. hard is that? <laughs> you know, it's 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, but to, car- to, to play, I don't know. That's, that seems so challenging, especially trying to get everyone out the door. You just do it and
1: stop complaining. I know yeah, I mean, well, there are days where that doesn't happen, but more often than not it does. And it's, we try and give them the responsibility that it's up to them. If they're down into, if they do their morning rhythm and they're down in time and they eat by a certain time, then we have time to do something that they really want to do. Oh, I see.
0: And that's a way of helping them learn to set a morning routine too.
1: Exactly. That's really cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And then uh, for me, it is important to get my my blood moving. I find that I have much more mental clarity. So I will uh, do something, whether it's uh, go to the gym for a little bit or, um, you know, when it's colder outside, I, I'll go to the gym or I'll do a workout video at home and do something just to get my, my heart rate going and um, feel better. I, I eat pretty cleanly food that works for my body. Um, it's taken me a while to figure out what foods those are, but I know what foods I function best with. I, you know, do things during the day that, uh, that fill me up, and yeah. you know, working with people is one of them. I try and carve out a little bit of time to do something creative, even if that's writing a, a blog or do something, even if it's, you know, 10 or 15 minutes where I can just be stimulated in that way.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Randy. I appreciate the time and I look forward to reading your book Unlimiting limiting
1: you. Okay, great. Thanks, Meredith.
0: All right. Take care.
1: You too.